Chapter Twenty Four of The Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Twenty Four. No simplest duty is forgot. Life hath no dim and lonely spot that doth not in her sunshine share. Lowell. I have been thinking," said Gertrude as she drew near home, "how we shall manage, Doctor, so as not to alarm Mrs. Sullivan. What's going to alarm her?" asked the doctor. "You, if she knows at once that you are a physician, I think I had better introduce you as a friend who brought me home in the storm." "Oh, so we are going to act a little farce, are we? Stage manager Gertrude Flint, unknown stranger, Doctor Jeremy. I'm ready. What shall I say first? I leave that to a wiser head than mine, Doctor, and trust entirely to your own discretion to obtain some knowledge of her symptoms, and only gradually disclose to her that you are a physician." Ah, yes, pretend at first to be only a private individual of a very inquiring mind. I think I can manage it. They went in. As they opened the door, Mrs. Sullivan rose from her chair with a troubled countenance, and hardly waited for the introduction to Gertrude's friend before she turned to her and asked, with some anxiety, if Mr. Cooper were not with them. No, indeed, replied Gertrude. Hasn't he come home? Upon Mrs. Sullivan saying that she had not seen him since morning, Gertrude informed her, with a composure she was far from feeling, that Mr. Miller had undertaken the care of him, and could undoubtedly account for his absence. She would seek him at once. Oh, I'm so sorry," said Mrs. Sullivan, "that you should have to go out again in such a storm. But I feel very anxious about Grandpa, don't you, Gertie? Not very. I think he is safe in the church. But I'll go for him at once. You know, Auntie, I never mind the weather. Then take my great shawl, dear. And Mrs. Sullivan went to the entry closet for her shawl, giving Gertrude an opportunity to beg of Doctor Jeremy that he would await her return, for she knew that any unusual agitation of mind would often occasion an attack of faintness in Mrs. Sullivan, and was afraid to have her left alone to dwell with anxiety and alarm upon Mister Cooper's prolonged absence. It was a very disagreeable afternoon. And already growing dark, Gertrude hastened along the wet sidewalks, exposed to the blinding storm, for the wind would not permit her to carry an umbrella. And after passing through several streets, gained the church. She went into the building, now nearly deserted by the workmen, saw at once that Mr. Cooper was not there, and was beginning to fear that she should gain no information concerning him, when she met Mr. Miller coming from the gallery. He looked surprised at seeing her. And asked if Mr. Cooper had not returned home. She answered in the negative, and he then informed her that his utmost efforts were insufficient to persuade the old man to go home at dinner time, and that he had therefore taken him to his own house. He had supposed, however, that long before this hour he would have been induced to allow one of the children to accompany him to Mrs. Sullivan's. As it now seemed probable that he was still at Mr. Miller's. Gertrude took the direction, for the family had moved within a year, and she did not know where to seek them. And declining the company of the friendly mason, whom she was unwilling to take from his work, proceeded thither at once. After an uncomfortable walk and some difficulty in finding the right street and house, she reached her destination. She knocked at the outside door, but there was no response. And after waiting a moment, she opened it and went in. Through another door at the right, there was the sound of children's voices and so much noise that she believed it impossible to make herself heard, and therefore, without further ceremony, entered the room. A band of startled children dispersed at the sight of a stranger, and ensconced themselves in corners, 
and Mrs. Miller, in dismay at the untidy appearance of her kitchen, hastily pushed back a clothes-horse against the wall, thereby disclosing to view the very person Gertrude had come to seek, who, in his usual desponding attitude, sat cowering over the fire. But before she could advance to speak to him, her whole attention was arrested by another and most unexpected sight. Placed against the side of the room, directly opposite the door, was a narrow bed, in which some person seemed to be sleeping. Hardly, however, had Gertrude presented herself in the doorway, before the figure suddenly raised itself, gazed fixedly at her, lifted a hand as if to ward off her approach, and uttered a piercing shriek. The voice and countenance were not to be mistaken, and Gertrude, pale and trembling, felt something like a revival of her old dread, as she beheld the well-known features of Nan Grant. "'Go away! Go away!' cried Nan, as Gertrude, after a moment's hesitation, advanced into the room. Again Gertrude paused, for the wildness of Nan's eyes, and the excitement of her countenance, were such that she feared to excite her further. Mrs. Miller now came forward, and interfered. "'Why, Aunt Nancy,' said she, "'what is the matter? This is Miss Flint, one of the best young ladies in the land.' "'No taint,' said Nan, fiercely. "'I know better.' Mrs. Miller now drew Gertrude aside, into the shadow of the clothes-horse, and conversed with her in an undertone, while Nan, leaning on her elbow, and peering after them into the dim corner to which they had retreated, maintained a watchful, listening attitude. Gertrude was informed that Mrs. Miller was a niece of Ben Grant's, but had seen nothing of him or his wife for years, until, a few days previous, Nan had come there in a state of the greatest destitution, and threatened with the fever under which she was now laboring. "'I could not refuse her a shelter,' said Mrs. Miller. "'But, as you see, I have no accommodation for her, and it's not only bad for me to have her sick right here in the kitchen, but what with the noise of the children and all the other discomforts, I'm afraid the poor old thing will die.' "'Have you a room that you could spare above stairs?' asked Gertrude. "'Why, there's our Jane,' answered Mrs. Miller. "'She's a good-hearted girl as ever lived. "'She said right off she'd give up her room to poor Aunt Nancy, "'and she'd sleep in with the other children. "'I didn't feel, though, as if we could afford to keep another fire going, "'and so I thought we'd put up a bed here for a day or two, "'and just see how she got along. "'But she's looking pretty bad to-day, "'and now I'm thinking, from her actions, "'that she's considerable out of her head.' "'She ought to be kept quiet,' said Gertrude.' "'and if you will have a fire in Jane's room at my expense, "'and do what you can to make her comfortable, "'I'll try and send a physician here to see her.' "'Mrs. Miller was beginning to express the warmest gratitude, "'but Gertrude interrupted her with saying, "'Don't thank me, Mrs. Miller. "'Nancy is not a stranger to me. "'I have known her before, "'and perhaps feel more interest in her than you do yourself.' "'Mrs. Miller looked surprised, "'but Gertrude, whose time was limited, "'could not stop to enter into a further explanation.' Anxious, however, if possible, to speak to Nan, and assure her of her friendly intentions, she went boldly up to the side of the bed, in spite of the wild and glaring eyes which were fixed steadily upon her. "'Nan,' said she, "'do you know me?' "'Yes, yes,' replied Nan, in a half-whisper, speaking quickly and catching her breath. "'What have you come for?' "'To do you good, I hope.' But Nan still looked incredulous, and in the same undertone, and with the same nervous accent, inquired, "'Have you seen Gertie? Where is she?' "'She is well,' answered Gertrude, astonished, however, at the question, for she had supposed herself recognized. "'What did she say about me?' 
She says that she forgives and pities you, and is in hopes to do something to help you and make you well. Did she? said the sick woman. Then you won't kill me? Kill you? No, indeed. We are in hopes to make you comfortable and cure you. Mrs. Miller, who had been preparing a cup of tea, now drew near with it in her hand. Gertrude took it and offered it to Nan, who drank eagerly of it, staring at her, however, in the meantime, over the edge of the cup. When she had finished, she threw herself heavily upon the pillow, and began muttering some indistinct sentences, the only distinguishable word being the name of her son, Stephen. Finding the current of her thoughts thus apparently diverted, Gertrude, now feeling in haste to return and relieve Dr. Jeremy, who had so kindly agreed to stay with Mrs. Sullivan, moved a little from the bedside, saying as she did so, "'Good-bye. I will come and see you again.' "'You won't hurt me?' exclaimed Nan, starting up once more. "'Oh, no. I will try to bring you something you will like.' "'Don't bring Gertie here with you. I don't want to see her.' "'I will come alone,' replied Gertrude. Nan now laid down and did not speak again while Gertrude remained in the house, though she watched her steadily until she was outside the door. Mr. Cooper made no objection to accompanying his young guide, and though the severity of the storm was such that they did not escape a thorough wetting, they reached home in safety, in little more than an hour from the time she started on her expedition. Dr. Jeremy, seated at the side of the grate, with his feet upon the fender, had the contented appearance of one who was quite at home. He seemed, indeed, unconscious that he was waiting for Gertrude's return, or anything else but his own pleasure. He had been talking with Mrs. Sullivan about the people of a country town where they had both passed some time in their childhood. And the timid, retiring woman had, in the course of conversation, come to feel so much at her ease in the society of the social and entertaining physician, that although he had, in his unguarded discourse, accidentally disclosed his profession, she allowed him to question her upon the state of her health, without any of the alarm she had nervously fancied she should feel at the very sight of a doctor. By the time Gertrude returned, he had made himself well acquainted with the case, and was prepared, on Mrs. Sullivan's leaving the room, to provide dry clothes for her father, to report to Gertrude his opinion. "'Gertrude,' said he, as soon as the door was shut, "'that's a very sick woman.' "'Do you think so, Dr. Jeremy?' said Gertrude, much alarmed, and sinking into the nearest chair. "'I do,' replied he, thoughtfully. "'I wish to mercy I had seen her six months ago.' "'Why, doctor, do you date her illness so far back as that?' "'Yes, and much further. She has borne up under the gradual progress of a disease which is now, I fear, beyond the aid of medical treatment.' "'Dr. Jeremy,' said Gertrude, in tones of greatest distress, you do not mean to tell me that Auntie is going to die, and leave me and her poor old father, and without ever seeing Willie again, too. Oh, I had hoped it was not nearly so bad as that. Do not be alarmed, Gertrude, said the doctor kindly. I did not mean to frighten you. She may live some time yet. I can judge better of her case in a day or two. But it is absolutely unsafe for you to be here alone with these two friends of yours. To say nothing of its overtasking your strength— has not Mrs. Sullivan the means to keep a nurse, or even a domestic? She tells me she has no one. Yes, indeed, answered Gertrude. Her son supplies her wants most generously. I know that she never draws nearly the whole of the amount he is anxious she should expend. Then you must speak to her about getting someone to assist you at once, for if you do not, I shall. I intend to, said Gertrude. I have seen the necessity for some time past, but she has such a dread of strangers that I hated to propose it.
"'Nonsense,' said the doctor. "'That's only imagination in her. "'She would soon get used to being waited upon.' "'Mrs. Sullivan now returned, and Gertrude, "'giving an account of her unexpected re-encounter with Nan Grant, "'begged Dr. Jeremy, who knew the particulars of her own early life, "'and had frequently heard of Nan, to go the next day and see her. "'It will be a visit of charity,' said she, "'for she is probably penniless.' and though staying with your old patients, the Millers, she is but distantly connected, and has no claim upon them. That never makes any difference with you, however, I know very well. Not a bit, not a bit, answered the doctor. I'll go and see her to-night, if the case requires it, and to-morrow I shall look in to report how she is, and hear the rest of what Mrs. Sullivan was telling me about her wakeful nights. But, Gertrude, do you go, child, and change your wet shoes and stockings. I shall have you on my hands next.' Mrs. Sullivan was delighted with Dr. Jeremy, and when he was gone, eagerly sounded his praise. "'So different,' said she, "'from common doctors, a portion of humanity for which she seemed to have an uncountable aversion. So sociable and friendly. Why, I felt, Gertrude, as if I could talk to him about my sickness as freely as I could to you.' Gertrude readily joined in the praises bestowed upon her much-valued friend, and it was tea-time before Mrs. Sullivan was weary of the subject.' After the evening meal was over, and Mr. Cooper, much wearied with the fatigues of the day, had been persuaded to retire to rest, while Mrs. Sullivan, comfortably reclining on the sofa, was enjoying what she always termed her happiest hour, Gertrude broached the subject recommended by Dr. Jeremy. Contrary to her expectations, Mrs. Sullivan no longer objected to the proposal of introducing a domestic into the family. She was convinced of her own incompetency to perform any act of labor, and was equally opposed to the exertion on Gertrude's part, which had, during the last week, had been requisite. Gertrude suggested Jane Miller as a girl remarkably well suited to their wants, and it was agreed that she should be applied for on the following morning. One more glance at Gertrude, and we shall have followed her to the conclusion of the day. She is alone. It is ten o'clock, and the house is still. Mr. Cooper is sound asleep. Gertrude has just listened at his door, and heard his loud breathing. Mrs. Sullivan, under the influence of a soothing draught recommended by Dr. Jeremy, has fallen into an unusually quiet slumber. The little Calcutta birds, ten in number, that occupy a large cage in the window, are nestled, side by side, on their slender perch, in a close, unbroken row and Gertrude has thrown a warm covering over them, that they may not suffer from the cold night air. She has locked the doors, made all things safe, fast, and comfortable, and now sits down to read, to meditate, and pray. Her trials and cares are multiplying, a great grief stares her in the face, and a great responsibility. But she shrinks not from either. No, on the contrary, she thanks God that she is here, that she had the resolution to forsake pleasure and ease, and, in spite of her own weakness and man's wrath, to place herself in the front of life's battle, and bravely wait its issues. She thanks God that she knows where to look for help, that the bitter sorrows of her childhood and early youth left her not without a witness of his love, who can turn darkness into light, and that no weight can now overshadow her whose gloom is not illumined by rays from the throne of God. But though her heart is brave, and her faith firm, she has a woman's tender nature, and, as she sits alone, she weeps, weeps for herself, and for him who, far away in a foreign land, is counting the days, the months and years, which shall restore him to a mother he is destined never to see again. 
with the recollection, however, that she is to stand in the place of a child to that parent, and that hers is the hand that must soothe the pillow of the invalid, and minister to all her wants, comes a stern necessity of self-control, a necessity to which Gertrude has long since learned to submit. And rallying all her calmness and fortitude, she wipes away the blinding tears, commends herself to him who is strength to the weak and comfort to the sorrowing. And soothed by the communion of her spirit with the Father of spirits, she seeks her couch, and worn out by the varied mental and bodily fatigues of her day's experience, follows the rest of the household to the land of dreams. End of chapter 24